Welcome to part two of Donna Jean Godshow McKay's chat with host Thea Wood. Part one covered Donna Jean's childhood and teen years in the Muscle Shoals music scene, including her early work with superstars like Cher and Elvis. In this episode, Donna Jean focuses on her long, strange trip with the Grateful Dead and coming full circle to Muscle Shoals as a changed woman. Well, the scene that you were in, and Elvis was a part of this sound too, with that mixture of gospel meeting R&B, mm-hmm. meeting like that swamp sound. And when you transitioned and you, and you decided, hey, I'm going to move to California, why the decision to move to California? Uh, that's also a good question because I was in a lucrative career in a viable session vocal group that anybody would love to remain in and keep working in. And I decided I wanted a new adventure. I hadn't been most places except around the South. And I wanted a new adventure in my life. And whether it included music with the adventure was something that I just let If it happens, it happens. You were saying that it wasn't about music that you went there. It was just for the new adventure. And yet you still ended up in the music scene. Yes. And that's because I heard the Grateful Dead for the first time. (laughs) And uh, it knocked my socks off and blew my little pea brain all over Winterland in San Francisco. And I could not believe what they were doing. It just was unlike any music I had ever heard before. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, when I sing again, it's going to be with that band. The rest is pretty much history. Donna Jean introduced her boyfriend-turned-husband, Keith Godshow, to the Grateful Dead. They began publicly performing with the band in 1971. She is a singer and he is a pianist. What was so different? Because there's a lot of bluegrass involved with, you know, the Grateful Dead and a lot of Southern music influences. What was so different about their performance that just, you know, knocked you out? Well, it was so improvisational and nothing was played exactly the same way twice. And that was thrilling to me. Mm -hmm. Well, especially as a studio musician, right? In Muscle Shoals and Memphis, everything was very, very much arranged and produced and very controlled. And then when I saw the Grateful Dead and how their approach to music, even to bluegrass or whatever kind of music that they were playing, it was different because they made it improvisational and it had that psychedelic edge to it. And by that, I mean, it wasn't your usual fare of how you get music across. And they did it in such a way that it was just, it just grabbed you. It grabbed me hard. And I wanted to expand everything that I knew and learned and had done in music. I wanted to expand that into whatever it was that they were doing because I loved it. And it just stimulated me in a way that I hadn't been stimulated in a long time. So I was ready, willing, and able to get out there and do that. Now, understand that I had never been on stage before. Everything was, you know, was with earphones. I was a studio rat. Right. 
And so going on stage with the Grateful Dead, like one of the biggest bands in the world and the loudest sound system in the world, and and singing to a group of people who literally took the Grateful Dead in an ownership kind of way. And it was their boys and their band. And walking out there on stage for the first time was not only I had never done that before, but I had to do that in front of that crowd and with that band and with a totally different understanding of of musicality. It was a stretch, but I was I was then there for the stretch, you know. I just wanted to sing with the Grateful Dead and that was my goal. And that's what you did. And that's what I did and loved every second of it. The good and bad and ugly, you know, you can Google the Grateful Dead and you're going to get everything from A to Z about that band. Every bit of it was part of the whole success of that band that's different than than any other band that I know of. I wouldn't take anything for it. It was amazing what we got to do, the people we got to sing for, and and the people we got to meet, and the things we got to do were just awesome, like being able to go to the Great Pyramid in Egypt. You know, rock and roll bands didn't do that. We were the first ones that the Egyptian Board of Antiquities had allowed to do that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we were the first band that did that, uh, a rock and roll band. Of course, they had music there all the time, but we were the first rock and roll band. And here comes from America, 747s full of hippies <laughs> coming from all over the United States to Egypt to hear this amazing thing that was going to happen that the Grateful Dead were playing in front of the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid. Who gets to do that? Right. What an experience. Now, you had also mentioned in this conversation that it was the boys in the band, it was their band, and through your travels and all the amazing people that you met, what about the female friendships? I mean, you you had a really strong group of female friendships in Muscle Shoals. What about in California and out on the road? Well, first of all, you had to be tough and know where you were going and what you wanted to do when you entered that world which was a universe all of its own. We were a strong bunch of women, and because we loved the Grateful Dead's music, we stuck together, and we were on a mission just to be in the same universe as that band because it was the music that drove our lives. You know, you t- hear people talk about, that was the background of my life, you know, is such and such a song or such and such a group or whatever. The Grateful Dead was a huge background for hundreds of thousands of people. To my knowledge, there hasn't been anything quite like it. It's different. It's like once you enter that scene, you don't want to get out of it. You know, it's it's so full and rich, and there's something to learn every day every hour and we were all all of us women were were geared to that intensity of what we wanted to do with our our lives and it wasn't like we were trying to be super hard chicks you know we just wanted to be who we were get to be with that band 
and hear that music and just be who we were. And we stayed close and tight and we took up for each other and we helped one another. And today, most of the the ladies that I worked around most of the time, we still have a even deeper friendship today. It never went away. It just got better and deeper and higher and stronger. And uh, many of them are my best friends today. And here we are, old old ladies. <laughs> now we're now we're really old ladies. <laughs> and is there a person in particular who you would say, "Wow, I ended up having more experiences with her, or deeper connection with her than I ever expected," or they just stood out in your memory? Well, Geraldyn Brandelius, who passed recently, was one of my best friends and tighter than ticks with. And Betty, uh, who did the sound, and Mountain Girl, who is Garcia's wife, and Rosie McGee, who did a lot of the Grateful Dead photography, we're still very much in touch with one another on every level. I mean, we're just sisters. We are bound, and we are sisters, and we love it. I wouldn't take anything for those friendships. They're some of the lasting ones of my life. And it will remain that way. It will remain that way. The couple parted ways with the dead in 1979 to form their own band, plus regularly played with the Jerry Garcia Band, and later formed the Heart of Gold Band. They had son Zion in 1974. In 1980, Keith was in a car accident on his birthday. He passed away four days later from brain injuries. It was later, and we had just formed the Heart of Gold Band, and I became the leader of the Heart of Gold Band. And during that transition, I met David McKay. We got married, and I got pregnant with Kinsman pretty much right away and just took myself out of the music business for quite a while to raise my son. With, with Zion, who is Keith's son, we were on the road most of the time. I mean, it was very hectic. A, a couple being in the same band together with a child. And sometimes I was in three bands at once with a child. And so how do you negotiate all of that and make it okay for everybody? I just realized that I needed a break. My family needed a break. I had a new baby. Zion was coming up in age, and I just wanted a change to regroup as a family and so that's what David and I did for quite a while until we left and came to Alabama in, in 94. And when you came back to Alabama, I mean, you're a very different person. Oh, you can take that to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have, even though you were, quote unquote, going home, if you will, did you have a culture shock going back? Uh, in a way, yes, because I love California so much. I mean, I I call myself... A genuine half-breed. I mean, I, and I don't say that in a negative way. It, it, it's or a derogatory way. It is that I am Muscle Shields and I am San Francisco, and they are both important to me, and they are both stitched into my very being. 
And so when I came back to Muscle Shoals, of course, the the cultural things were so different. Uh, it's like going from Muscle Shoals to San Francisco, and then going to San Francisco from San Francisco back to Muscle Shoals. It was the same. It was like I was in culture shock both times, going both ways, and things had changed here somewhat, but a lot still has to come about uh, in Alabama. We're working on it, but it's it's slow going, very slow going. But we have our family and our friends, and we're all good. We have it pretty darn good. We live on the Tennessee River, and we just have our life. And we live our life and let everybody else do what they're going to do. Believe what they want to believe. Let everybody do whatever they want to do. We're a unit, a family that love one another and support one another. And that's, that's where we hang our hat. Never miss an episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. Sign up for our Spotlight newsletter and get updates on new episodes, virtual and in-person events, and much more. Signing up is easy. Grab your phone, visit backstagechats.com, and click the newsletter link. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and your inbox. Sign up today and see who's in the spotlight. And you're still recording. Uh, You just re-recorded Shelter, which came out originally in 2007. Mm -hmm. And the thought and the spirit of the song, I think, is very apropos for now uh, with regard to the pandemic. And again, everything that the world stage has seen over the past year, why the change? Why say, okay, this is the time to do this now? Or, or what was different about it? What was impactful that inspired you to do it? Well, it was twofold, Thea. When we recorded the song back in 2007 up in Long Island, Jeff Matson and I wrote the song together. I wrote the melody and the lyrics, and he wrote the chord structure. And in our collaboration, we we had an idea of what we wanted the song to sound like, to turn out like. And and it turned out really well. I mean, it was really wonderfully produced. It was really, really good. But there was something lacking that Jeff and I had been talking about for years, and that was revisiting the background vocals on the choruses of the song, they were just kind of mundane and they weren't strong. And I wanted something strong and almost spirit and very spiritual and intensely done to, you know, to come up to what we're dealing with as a nation and as a world. So combined with, with Jeff and I had talked about doing that for years and the fact that the song is a hundred times more relevant today than it even was in 2007, we just knew it was time to do what we had always wanted to do and get this song redone the way we wanted to. Roof, 
Here we were in a pandemic. We couldn't do very much in travel and all the usual things that happen when you're recording. And fortunately, here we are in Muscle Shoals, and our best friend owns the biggest and best premier recording studio here in Muscle Shoals, Jimmy Nutt, and his studio is called The Nut House. So we took the hard drive from that session on Shelter and I got my girls here. There are three girls who do most of the singing on the records that are recorded here. Records. I don't know what to call anything anymore. <laughs> anyway, so I got those girls to come in and redo those background vocals. And it just threw the whole song. It just took it up to a level that was amazing. I mean, it really did take the songs somewhere else and made it very, very strong. And so since that happened, and it, it was very, very strong, and it was exactly what we wanted, I said, I want the rhythm section now to come up to where these vocals are as far as intensity. And let's redo the rhythm section. <laughs> and While we're at it. While, while we're at it. And uh, I am very hands-on. I stay until the fat lady sings, like mastering and everything. I'm always there, little control freak that I am. <laughs> so anyway, my husband, David McKay, is a really fine, fine bass player. He's really great. He replaced the bass on it. And then our friend Jimmy Nutt, who owns the studio, is also a drummer. And so most of the drums he replaced. We kept percussion from what we had done up in Long Island and a few things. But the main drums Jimmy Nutt did, and it turned out exactly what I wanted in my head to hear was this tribal thing that suggested the intensity of what we're dealing with. A pandemic is one aspect of what we have been dealing with as a nation. All the political stuff that's going on, all the, the weather situation all over the place, the whole world is going through this. And I just thought, the time for this song is now. It was written years ago, but the time for it to be shining is now. 
so I got a hold of my friend Dennis McNally, and I said, let's get her out there. It's time. It's time. That's right. And thank you, Dennis, because he's the one who connected yeah. us. Yeah, well, you know Dennis. Yes, and I, the thing that I got from it, and I've listened now to the remix a number of times, and it's not just about sheltering from the external. It's also a sheltering on the internal and the spiritual and having a moment. I think you said it in another interview, having a moment of grace. Having a moment of grace, and they're in the midst of everything that could be perceived as negative that is going on, there is shelter for the soul. And if you notice in every chorus, it ends with shelter for the soul. So it's contrasting the fact that there is nasty stuff going on in this world and we're having to deal with it. But if you keep yourself in that nasty place and, oh my gosh, and hopeless and hopeless and hopeless, that's nowhere. You don't get anywhere with that kind of thinking. And to reach higher and higher and higher and get to a place where you find peace and you find safety in your soul is the only safe place to be now. Anywhere you go in the United States, for instance, I live here in Alabama, and there are tornado warnings out every, almost every day. You go to San Francisco, and there are fires. My brother wants to get an RV in case their house gets caught on fire this summer. I mean, it's just crazy. It is. Just just the weather. So we're dealing with so many things at once that if you don't find a shelter for your soul, you, you're going to not be a happy camper and very stressed out and nervous about everything. And so shelter for the soul is something that I know, I don't think, I know we all need and that's what I'm reaching for, and that's what I teach my children. Well, they're children. They're 30s and 40s. They're still your babies. They're still my babies. They really are. And all the rest of the world is in the same. We are in the same boat. We are in the same boat. We don't want to go down with the ship, and so we have to find a higher place to have our thoughts and have our spirits hang out instead of in the lower places. Well, I find music to be that higher place. Music. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's the reason why I started our nonprofit, Horizon Music Foundation, because I think women need to be better represented in the music industry, and we all do. And, um, and there is a grace with all of us coming together. And I'm just astounded every day, at the people that it brings into my life, you know, on a professional and personal level. Well, music is the great communicator in any language. Music is, like you said, a uniter. It can bring you together like I don't think anything else can. How can people listen to Shelter so they can find this moment of grace that we're talking about that I think that this song brings? Well, that brings us to how can you get Shelter then? Yes. Uh, This is going to sound more complicated than it is. 
you go to Donna, Jean, and the tricksters dot here now and here is spelled h e a r now dot com so you've got donna jean and the tricksters dot here now dot com and you go there and it's on everything you can get it pretty much anywhere great and you know what we'll go ahead we'll put that link on our show notes page too at backstagechats.com and we'll have videos. We'll do everything that we can to make it easy for people to get there once they're you know, finished listening to the podcast. I thank you uh, for doing that, number one. And thank you for having me on this show and on this podcast. It's just been fun. It is fun. And I do have one last question for you. Okay. Okay, you said your touring days are over. Is that still true? Touring days are over. I expect to, you know, in certain, at certain times with certain people, do certain gigs, you know, just uh, special things. But I'm not going to, like, go on tour. I've done it, done it, done it, done it, done it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so my touring days are over, but my singing days are not over. And my performing for special occasions is not over. So that's all that I can say. What about virtual concerts? You know, everybody, we've got technology now. Is this something? Maybe we'll mm-hmm. we'll see some things from Muscle Shoals? <laughs> you certainly may. As a matter of fact, uh, both of my sons, Kinsman and Zion, are in a major group called Boombox. And during this pandemic, instead of just wallering around watching TV or something, they kept writing music and practicing and and ended up doing many streams, live streams from our studio here. So that's definitely viable and something to think about. And so I'm open to doing that as well. Well, I hope so. And I'll, I'll be ready to watch. And I'm sure so will our audience members. Before we go, one last curiosity. Do you have any advice for 15-year-old Donna Jean? If you could go back and tell her something? There's a lot I'd like to tell that little girl. First of all, everybody has dreams. And Usually things start out with dreams. And so you get this thing inside your your belly that just won't go away. And a dream starts to emerge from it, no matter what vocation we're talking about. But with me, of course, it was music. And I would say that if you want to see a dream come true, you have to do the work. You have to stay so in it that there isn't a time where you're just unfocused. And focus is a big part of it. You can't just go up to, for instance, let me give you a a real for instance. I went up to Jerry Garcia and I said, Keith is your next piano player, and I need your home telephone number so I can call you, and we can come and uh, audition with the band. And he gave me his telephone, his home telephone number, and a couple of weeks, Keith and I were in the band. 
But the reason that I had the confidence to do that is I knew that Keith had the goods Mm -hmm. to be in that band. It wasn't just, I want to be in the Grateful Dead. And I... I can bang on the piano or something. I knew he had the goods. So you want to know that you have the goods before you pursue what you want to pursue and have it end up the way you want it to be. I say that out of experience because it's really true. You can you can even be a great singer For instance, in The Grateful Dead, you could have a great singer, much greater than me, in the band, but if they didn't fit in and have the same aspirations for the band, then it didn't matter how good you could sing. It's a lot that goes into being a a singer and a part of something and gleaning what that's all about and adhering to it and not giving up and not jumping the gun, but being prepared to be who you are and letting yourself shine that way because you have the confidence to do it is where it's at. Amen, sister. That's it. That's real life in action. That's putting, you know, putting your money where your mouth is or, you know, walk in the talk and all those other uh, mm-hmm. idioms. Donna Jean Godshow McKay, thank you so much. Well, it has been my privilege. This is just so wonderful. And you've been an inspiration to me and hundreds of thousands of other young women. We love stories like yours because they remind us to be dreamers, rule breakers, and rock stars. in that order in that order of course you can mix it up if you want (laughs) i hope we get a chance to talk to you again in the future well me too thea and it's just been a joy talking to you same here everybody thank you for joining us today at backstage chats with women in music i'm your host thea wood it's a wrap Horizon Music Foundation is connecting musicians and DJs with event hosts and planners for paid gigs. If you're a musician or DJ who wants to supplement your income, sign up for our new all-female musician marketplace. There are no listing fees, and the first 100 profiles will get premium promotion on our podcast and social media. Sign up today. Visit horizonmusic.org slash ram. That's H-E-R-I-Z-O-N music.org slash R-A-M where we're booking random acts of music. Backstage Chats with Women in Music is a production of Horizon Music Foundation, a nonprofit based in Austin, Texas. Giving credit where credit is due, we'd like to thank folks for their contributions to this episode, including Donna Jean Godshow and the Tricksters for the song Shelter, Chloe Brown for audio production and editing, Bianca Garcia and her interns Essence and Caleb for social media support, and Pond5 for our theme music. Your donations make this podcast possible please visit horizonmusic.org to donate today. This podcast is the property of Horizon Music Foundation and is protected by copyright law. Use of this podcast is for personal and non-commercial purposes only. No other use of this production, including and without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing may be made without prior consent from the Horizon Music Foundation. Submit all requests to info at horizonmusic.org. 